it started, put that quiz there. Just, I've got this little theory, uh, particularly about the last two films uh, that we had. I think it's really interesting how baddies have developed in films, and particularly recently, maybe, how... Um, well, the baddies... The, the baddies have been dumbed down a little bit. The baddies really aren't as bad as... They, you know, they actually all sort of end up being sort of quite good baddies, if you see what I mean. It's just a theory, um, but I think it's one that we like, because I don't know about you, but I like being told that I'm not really as bad as I am. Uh, if uh, you tell me that I'm a good person, then you can be my friend. We like to be told that we're not as bad as we really are. However, any shift away from thinking that you are a sinner, any move away from knowing yourself as a real rebel, any swing from recognising yourself as, you know, big posh theologian would call somebody who has total depravity in their lives and is going to be judged one day, if we shift away from those things, knowing that we're a sinner and a rebel, then it's really dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. And that's why this morning I'm going to tell you the truth up front. Something you've heard a lot about the last few weeks. Something you might be getting a little bit fed up of being told. But you are bad. You are bad. Micah, in this book that we've been looking at, is very serious about how bad you are. And he seems to spend a lot of time telling us about how bad you are. You are bad. Now, for me, being told that throws up two problems. Here's the first one. And here's the second one. I don't think I am. I don't think I am bad. Um, and I think I can get away with it when I do think I'm bad. Um, let's have a look at what God thinks about us um, when we think that we're bad. Uh, when we think we're not so bad. You know, we say to ourselves, don't we, um, I'm, uh, you know, I work hard at school. Um, I'm uh, somebody who's not too rude to my parents all the time. Um, I'm somebody who helps old ladies across the road. I'm not bad. Well, God thinks quite differently. Have a look at chapter 1 of Micah. Uh, I've got my Bible out to try and find out what page it was for you. Uh, 650-something. Six, six, 650, yeah, 655. If you haven't got a Bible, grab one, now's a good time. And have a look at uh, chapter 1 and uh, verse 2. Just part way through it says this. It says, The Sovereign Lord may witness against you. You might think that you're not bad, but if you want a real straightforward, honest, sober assessment of what you're really like, then the Sovereign, Independent, Absolute Lord of everything, who is good, will probably give you a decent answer. And he says, I witness against you. And just scan chapter 2, we did it, um, we've done it over the last couple of weeks, and you'll see how bad others and ourselves can get. In verse 1, um, we plan iniquity and wickedness. Uh, in verse 2, we are greedy and envious. Uh, in verse 3, uh, we um, walk around proudly as if nothing's wrong. In verse 8, we are like God's enemies, taking from other people, it says. In verse 11, we're just lying to ourselves, and we think that life is one big party. Now flick back to chapter 1 and you'll find in uh, verse 9 uh, that it says, for her wound is incurable. Incurable. That's a pretty big thing to say, isn't it? God in his wisdom gets Micah to go out of his way uh, in these first two chapters and you'll find he carries on in the book as we go through to make sure that people know they are bad. To make sure I know I am bad. To make sure you know that you're bad. You are bad even when you don't think you are. 
And um, when you think you can get away with it, well, maybe we need to think again. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, it says, uh, look, the Lord is coming. One day, every single one of us is going to have to stand before God and give an account of ourselves. Um, does anyone know who this is? You know who this is? Yeah. It's Stephen Lawrence, yeah. And it's been really interesting. I don't know whether you've noticed this in the papers recently or been thinking it through or read. Uh, not only is it interesting, but it's actually quite frightening and very saddening too. Um, there's been a lot about his murderers. Here they are, um, the two chaps who've been convicted. Can you imagine how they felt? Just sort of put yourself in their seat. You know you've done something wrong. Uh, and uh, at first nobody can prove it. Uh, you've, tried, you've been tried and you've been acquitted. You, you know, you've got away with it. You breathe a sigh of relief and you think, that's it. I have got away with it. And then time goes by, and 18 years later, finally the truth comes out. Everyone knows what you've done. You're stepping out of a dock, a convicted man with a sentence around your neck. You've been judged and found wanting. The truth has come out. Now, these first two chapters of Micah should have left God's people feeling like that. The truth has come out. It should leave us feeling like that. We're in a similar place. God does know you can't get away with these things. You've been judged and found wanting. You are bad. Even when you don't think you are, and even when you think you can get away with it. Now, I want us to be really serious about this stuff because it is really serious stuff. And the saddest thing about it, as Elfie was explaining to us a couple of weeks ago, is that our badness irreparably damages us, this relationship that we could have with a God who really loves us. That's how sad it is. Uh, right from the beginning of time, the human race has um, been clearly told by God about our badness and rebellion. Our sin, if you want to use that Christian word for it. Um, it's been pointed out that one day we are going to be punished. Here's what it says in Genesis 3, verses 22 to 23. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from, also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So he's going to die. So the God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. Banished from God's presence. You will die and be separated from God because of your badness. That's what we told right from the beginning. There is a brick wall between us and God. Um, now, you know the ways, um, I don't know whether you've heard this, I don't know whether the Lockwoods do it with their new dog, um, but one of the ways in which you train a dog um, to not mess, um, I'm told, is to rub its nose in it. Um, uh, there's a little dog rubbing your nose in it. Uh, now, you may feel over the last few weeks, and you may feel as we go on in Micah, that we're having our noses rubbed in, uh, uh, rubbed in it a little bit. Yeah, you could say that Micah makes us wallow in our badness. We are bad to the bone. You're bad to the bone. Um, and if you don't like it, you won't have to go too far to find somebody who says, oh, no, 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 you're not really all that bad. Simon's going to introduce us to a couple of those people in a, in a few weeks' time. It's nice to hear that you're good, isn't it? But God loves you and loves me so much uh, that he tells us the truth. And through Micah, he says, you are bad. You are bad even if you don't think you are, and you're bad even when you think you can get away with it. The question is why? Why does he, why does he make us go through this recognising how bad we are? Why does God keep on reminding us in the Bible, and especially in the book of Micah, that it's important that you know that you are bad? We're going to think about that as we go on. But first of all, here's some questions for you in your groups. Have a think. It all seems to have gone a little bit quiet, so we'll, we'll move on. Um, and let me ask you, have you ever been in a hurricane? 
Yeah, we've caught the tail end of one a couple of times, haven't we? Uh, I guess generally you haven't been in a hurricane, um, but you heard talk of the, the eye of a hurricane. Um, uh, basically, one minute you're in 100 mile an hour winds and there's rain and cloud and all that sort of rubbish, and then all of a sudden the eye comes over uh, and there's clear skies, no rain, e- even sunshine as you can see in this picture. Um, uh, that's what happens at the end of chapter 2 of Micah. It's like the eye of a hurricane. You've had this car crash of sin, the humiliation of rebellion, uh, the guarantee of judgment, as we've talked, and then the eye of the storm. (coughs) Two verses which stick out to me. Stick out like, um, I was trying to think of a good example of this, Uh, like an England rugby player um, during a really muddy, rainy day coming on in the second half with a clean kit and the rest of them are looking like this. Um, uh, that's how it sticks out to me when I read these passages. And, and it's good to sort of notice things like that in Scripture, just generally, by the way. You know, what, what sticks out? What, what's the shock? What's the surprise in this little passage? Um, so keep doing that as you read the Bible. Um, let's read it, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. Does somebody else want to come and do it? So I, it's not my voice. Jake, in a reading mood. Yeah. Go on then, do you want to come up here and read it? I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The, people, the place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Thanks very much. So these two verses, they make you slam your foot on the brake. Um, as it were, it's like the um, oh, there you go. It's like the emergency stop of uh, Micah two. God will gather His people in. Wait a minute. He'll give them safety and food. He'll uh, send them a king to lead them. Why? Why on earth would He do these things? They don't deserve it. We've just seen that they are bad. People often say that the God of the Old Testament is different to the God of the New Testament. You get this idea in the Old Testament that he's hard and unloving and he punishes and he kills and he wages war. And then in the New Testament, he's all sort of tender and caring and forgives and shows affection. Well, the truth is God doesn't change at all. He is the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, whose name even means that, you know, I stay the same and I go on forever. In these two verses, you get the side of God that I think is often missed in the Old Testament. It's definitely there, and it's there all the way through. He doesn't change. Uh, it's a side of God that is crucial, and it can be summed up in one word. Grace. Grace. If that was your name, that'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> Grace. If you remember nothing else from today, uh, I want you to remember this. God forgives and loves and gives to people who don't deserve it. He is full of grace. You know, the reason why Micah has rubbed our noses in it for the last three weeks, he served to, to highlight and big up and emphasise and stress that even though we are rubbish, even though we are sinful, even though we're rebellious, he is still full of grace and love and care and generosity. And that's great news because it means that no one, as we were singing earlier on, is too bad for God. No one, um, no matter how far they've gone, has no way back. And did you notice how the hope of a way back has got nothing to do with the people? In verse 12, um, it says this. Um, It's not, oh, the people will come running. It's not, the people will sort themselves out. It's not, the people will rise up together and get better. Instead, do you notice those two words at the beginning of each one? I will, I will, I will. I will gather them in. I'll bring them together. 
It's all God's doing. And when God does stuff, it's not questionable and short-lived. How does he remind us of that in this verse? In this verse? This verse? It's not questionable and short-lived. It's definite. How do we know? Surely. Surely. Don't call me surely. (laughs) Yeah. Surely. Surely he will do these things. You know, Micah has shown us what a dove dark job the chosen people of God do at sorting themselves out. And if I'm honest, um, when people today try and sort out their own mess, it might work for a little while, but ultimately it's doomed to disaster. God doesn't do half-hearted. It's definite. You can be sure that God will do it. But it's, um, it could be a long time before it happens. When Micah was writing, the people of God were still together. So in order for God to gather people back in, they must first face being scattered. And that's something the Israelites would not have liked to have heard. Um, it's something that Micah has already predicted. If we remember back in verse 16 of chapter 1, they will go, you will go into exile. I think this can be relevant for some of us here today, and I think some of us need to think about it. Um, While it's sad that God lets us wander, or I might even say that God actually separates himself from us, sometimes that's the push that we need to realise how far we've moved from God. So let me ask you, is there some sort of sin in your heart at the moment that you, I don't know, you just keep coming back to it? It really bugs you. And maybe you've got a, a rebellious, self-sufficient streak that um, makes you feel that you can cope with everything by yourself. Um, even good stuff, like working hard and being organised and making sure that you give charitably and can be kind, well, that good stuff can become God stuff. And it leaves you a long, long way from God. Is there something that's stopping you from coming back to God? Has he allowed you to sort of go away? There's that little bit in Romans, isn't it, where we're told um, that um, he gives us over to a depraved mind. He lets us do stuff and just sort of get on with it sometimes. Sometimes, like with children, God needs to discipline us. And he lets us make our own mistakes before we see how stupid we are. It might be happening to you now. Or it might happen to you in the future. Or if it does happen in the future, just remember this. And you feel like, no, look how far I've gone. It could be God saying, hey, wait a minute. I've let you go so you can recognise how far you've gone. Micah talks about it like um, a flock of sheep in verse 12. So uh, maybe the best way to illustrate this is with a sheep. See my sheep? It's quite cool, isn't it, that one? Um, now imagine uh, this sheep is a slightly adventurous sheep. And... Uh, uh, she, she wonders what she's missing on the farm. There's the farm. You know, the farm seems a little bit dull, a little bit boring, lots of horses and chickens and other animals and things. And so she decides she's going on a little quest for something a little bit different. There she goes. And uh, the journey starts well, but then she finds herself um, wandering into uh, woods where there might be wolves. You don't want to be there. Whoop, off you go. <laughs> Or uh, maybe uh, she wanders into a desert where there's no food and there's no water. They're missing. Don't want to be there. And it's only in those situations when she's in the woods in the danger uh, or in the food and missing out on all the resources, in the desert and missing out on all the resources, that the farm becomes what it really always was, a place of security and safety and wonderful resource. Uh, Verse 12 of chapter 2 says, I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in a pasture. The place will throng with people. So is where God has let you wander, maybe it's not too far, 
But it's where God has let you wander, not what you thought it was going to be. It is nowhere near as satisfying and it's a lot more dangerous than you thought it was going to be. If that's you, well, come back. God provides everything. You need to come back. Um, Oh, there you go. Why is he going off there again? (laughs) I will surely. I will surely, says God. How do you get back, though? You know, if you've wandered away, I guess it's back to that brick wall that we were talking about, wasn't it? As a Christian um, young person at Christchurch Forward, I think we could get really quite um, blasé and matter-of-fact about what Micah tells us next. So before I read this verse, let me just remind you of a couple of things. You know, Christianity is really simple at one level, but another level it is big and it is amazing and it is absolutely fantastic. So just think seriously. God, who is everything good, has rightly put a wall of separation and the sadness of death in place to stop your rebelliousness coming anywhere near his perfection. You are separated from God and you cannot get back by yourself. But... And this is the emergency stop but that Micah wants us to notice today. Uh, But God's plan right from the very beginning was to do something about himself. And he has done something about himself. It's 700 years before that first Christmas. I think Micah amazingly wrote these words which tell us of that eternal plan. Look at verse 13. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. A breaker is coming, a smasher is coming. The words of one who breaks. It's not this um, like a sort of karate champion who can just sort of smash through a couple of bricks. That's nothing. It's not like a bloke with a sledgehammer who you know, can go through breeze blocks and then comes against a sort of cliff face and has a bit of a problem then. Um, it's not even like a bulldozer which is going to run out of pre- uh, petrol. This breaker is unstoppable. He even destroys that final barrier of death and separation. Watch this. Now we laugh about that, but that is absolutely amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. God breaks down the barrier of death and separation from him through this smasher, this breaker. And if you haven't sussed out who it is yet, verse 13 makes it very clear, doesn't it? Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. He is the Lord, he's God, he's the king. Of course, it's Jesus. And this breaker and smasher, though, is not just someone who turns up with his sledgehammer, knocks down the blockage, trots off home. See you. Um, he also leads his people. You get that from these verses. One book says, um, he's, this is Dale Ralph Davis, who's, uh, I think that's a young version of Dale Ralph Davis, actually, some of the picture I could find. Uh, he says this um, this breaker, he smashes and stays. He liberates, he frees, and then he, he, he leads, he stays with them. And you can see it there in the verses, can't you? That's how uh, Micah puts it. You know, I reckon um, we think we have this sort of pre-perception, perception, pre-conception, that's the word I was looking for, of what Jesus um, is. He's come, he's died on a cross to rescue us, job done, tick the box, we can just carry on with normal life again now. It's not like that at all. This unstoppable breaker smashes down the wall of separation and then goes on, verse 13, to lead the way. Jesus isn't just around to rescue you so that you can breathe a sigh of relief and just carry on. Like a divine sat-nav or a perfect walking buddy 
or a best friend who keeps you on the straight and narrow. Jesus stays, he leads, he, he walks with you once he's saved you. It's absolutely amazing. The New Testament talks of it as Jesus living in us. It talks of it as being with us in his spirit. Um, John chapter 4 puts it like this. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Jesus is a smasher and a breaker who stays and leads. You can trust him to do that. You can trust him to stay and you can trust him to carry on leading. It's not just about saving you. Um, And I think that's where I want to challenge you really today. As we go on in Micah, keep realising how bad you are. Keep realising how bad you are. It's really important. You know, Christians through the years, these old sort of old bloke Christians, the sort of John Stark who's just died. The, um, it, it just, the, I remember talking to George Hoffman, who was the sort of head of Tear Fund once. And they are people who, as they go on in life, recognise how more bad they are. Paul says that, doesn't he, somewhere in the Bible as well. He says, you know, I'm the worst of sinners. As he goes on in the Christian life, he understands more of how bad he is. Why do you have to understand how bad you are? Well, only so that you can realise what amazing emergency stop verses these are. And once you've realised that, why wouldn't you want to come in and be gathered up? Be part of God's big flock or family. Why wouldn't you want to have Jesus with you all the time? Yeah, it's the best thing ever. If you had to navigate the streets of a dark city, would you take a wimp with you or would you take Superman? Oh, well, I know which one I'd take. If you've got a friend who is a breaker and a smasher, um, that's got to give you confidence, hasn't it, to go on. Colin got it right. Who is it? I'm sure you could all sort of carry on singing with that one. But you know, that's, that's who Jesus is. He's the death crusher, he's the sin smasher, he's the one who sorted out all that badness that Micah keeps making us remember. And to have him with you, leading and carrying on the way, is an amazing thing. So in summary, a Christian um, has a super saviour who smashed through the wall and death of, of death and sin. A Christian has an unstoppable king with them. How good is that? And more importantly, just think of the amazing things you could do with him by your side if you realise that. Some questions for you, but I wonder if you might like to just pray first of all in your groups. We'll spend a couple of minutes praying and then there's a couple of questions there before we sing our last song.